Welcome back to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service. And I'm pleased to be joined this week by Father Nate Wills. Father Nate is a Holy Cross priest, a 99 graduate with his undergrad, a triple domer because he got his a Master of Education in 2003 and his Master's of Divinity in 2005. He's now the director of the Blended Learning Initiatives in the ACE program, as well as the chaplain to the football team. All right, I think that's enough intro. Father <laughs> Nate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Dan. Really great to have you. Thank you. I'd like to start with the beginning of your life. Could you tell us where you're from originally, what some of your early years were like? Yeah, I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I have two siblings, an older brother and a younger sister. And a great place to grow up, Minnesota. And I went to Catholic schools all my life. So grade school and high school and just really grateful for the education that I had there. And it's kind of launched me into my current career in Catholic education. Sure. That's great. In terms of some of your mentors of faith, people Mm. who guided you early on, thinking back, who do you remember as really exemplars of the faith that helped you take ownership of that? Yeah, especially when I was growing up, I think... Well, certainly my parents <laughs> would prioritize for us going to Mass, right. even though uh, <laughs> I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for my siblings, but I did my fair share of complaining about uh, okay. <laughs> going to Mass growing up, even though it was really great. I went to a great parish, mm. had two awesome pastors, uh, Father John Parkos and uh, Father John Eubel, a younger priest, and who ended up just being, he's now the, the rector of the cathedral in St. Paul, okay, just great. an awesome yeah. model of holiness and goodness. So early on, I think it was mostly my grandmother, who was just a, a saintly woman, and looked to her. I had a lot of really great teachers in grade school and high school that I looked to and uh, as models of goodness and holiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What were some of your interests back in those days that, you know, were you into sports or theater or what, what oh, were some of the gosh. things that you really got involved in? That's so long ago. <laughs> Let me think. So, no, I didn't. My older brother was like always the athlete, always somebody who did kind of cooler things yeah. than I did. <laughs> I was in like the band. I was right. in plays. And um, oh, you're talking to a band guy. So yeah, that's there right. you go. <laughs> but, you know, I played sports in, in high school mainly as something to do, just sure. kind of as a fun thing to connect with other folks. And yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Growing up, <laughs> I don't know that I had a lot of really interesting interests. I was kind of a nerdy kid, like playing video games and, and I liked school. That yeah. was, that gets you to Notre Dame, I suppose. Uh, that's right. Um, that's right. But uh, yeah. So let's turn to that. What brought you to Notre Dame in the first place? What was attractive about the place? How did you, what's kind of that story? Yeah, it's funny. My older brother, Nick, really wanted to go to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And he was like, my goal is to play basketball at Notre Dame. Everybody's kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah. We're first generation college kids. So yeah. this was an enormous stretch. So my brother, God bless him. Sure enough, he got into Notre Dame and ended up walking on for Notre Dame's basketball team. It was mm-hmm. like living the dream, right? Yeah. And I was like, I want to go anywhere but Notre Dame. Like, mm-hmm. I, this is his place. I was checking out all these other schools around the nation. And, and then I went to visit him for, I think it was, it was one of the breaks. Anyway, I went to visit him here at Notre Dame. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, mm. this is the place I want to yeah. go to. This is way better than any other <laughs> right. place that I've been. And and I just loved it. I ended up applying and ended up finding out they had this college seminary program mm-hmm. called Old College. Right. Which, I mean, I was looking into the college seminary back home in Minnesota. Okay. It didn't feel right to me. It was, yeah. it was a pretty big undergraduate seminary. Yeah. And they wanted more of a commitment than I was ready for. I right. was like, no, 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 no. I'm thinking about it. I'm not ready to sign the dotted line. 
mind. So, yeah. and it was it was just really great. Like I visited here and you know met some people like a now priest named Nick Becker who was mm-hmm. just like a deep and thoughtful guy. And I thought, you know what, these are people who are I can see myself getting along with mm-hmm. and also striving for the same thing: clarity in their vocation in life, really striving honestly after the question of how will God use my gifts in my life? What what can I do to to grow in goodness and holiness and so all of that was really attractive to me. I'm like, well, this is great. This is kind of a win-win. Yeah. When did you first, that idea of even thinking about the priesthood, wouldn't yeah. it, wouldn't that kind of enter in? And was that intimidating at first? Or can you talk a bit about the evolution there? Yeah. So when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, Pope John Paul II came to Denver, Denver. for World oh, Youth yeah, Day. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was just an amazing experience. And the priest I mentioned earlier, Father John Ubel, and a couple other priests, both of whom, by the way, uh, eventually became bishops, which is kind of oh, crazy. Yeah. But they were both young priests. They they organized this trip from my high school, uh. and um, we just really had an incredible experience. And I remember... Pope John Paul II at this huge mass at Cherry Creek State Park said this little line in his homily. He said, Jesus Christ expects great things from young people. Hmm. And I was like, what? And, huh? Young people? And that, like, <laughs> doesn't he mean adults or whatever? And, and it was just this moment of kind of something changed in me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the Holy Spirit just stirred my heart to say, what are you doing to serve the Lord? How will you use your life and your gifts? Mm-hmm. And it was all of a sudden not something for other people that I, I really started to take my own faith seriously. I don't know, I I guess I just started to like pay attention in a different way at Mass to mm-hmm. the scriptures, to homilies, and our constitutions and Holy Cross talk about the call coming from within and from without. Mm-hmm. And I certainly was starting to feel it from within, but I was kind of like, whoa, what do I do with this? Yeah. You know, is God calling me to use my gifts as a priest in life or what's going on? And it was really in my Catholic high school at St. Thomas Academy in Minnesota where I had really great religion teachers specifically uh-huh. kind of pull me aside and be like, hey, have you ever thought about being a priest? I'm like, yeah. oh, how did you know? <laughs> like, uh, you Is know. there something on my <laughs> mark on me? <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it was a really great affirmation. Sure. And, and that gave me, I think, the courage to say, all right, maybe I'll think a little bit more about this. Yeah. Do you remember telling people about that or this decision? Oh, Notre Dame is great. Oh, you're not going to play basketball there. You're going to the undergraduate seminary. What's that? I yeah. Mean- well, first of all, Dan, no one thought I was going to play basketball there. <laughs> no one. But yeah, I remember telling some of my buddies in high school. I'm like, ah, uh, you know, uh, you know, and just kind of not really having the words and sure. fumbling around and, sure. and feeling awkward. And People were, they always surprise you with their goodness and, mm-hmm. and supportiveness. And all of my buddies were like, that's great. Sure. So, yeah. They weren't sure on the timeline. Like, sure. does that mean you'll be ordained next year? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Long process. Right. But it was great. It's funny, even when I came to Notre Dame, people would ask, you know, of course, the first question they had, you know, what's your major? What dorm are you in? Right. And I'm like, well... I'm in old college. And they're like, oh, Soren? I'm like, no, it's old college. And so, of course, that requires like 10 follow-up questions. Right. Like, I've never heard of that dorm. I'm like, well, it's an undergraduate <laughs> seminary. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And it was funny. I, I remember equivocating so like gently being like, well, I'm thinking about maybe, I mean, someday, I mean, like, I don't really know, but maybe I might be, want to be a priest. And then just kind of like pausing for like, yeah, 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 like pausing for like a reaction of, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? And everybody was like, 
oh, that's cool. That's great. I had follow-up questions, and I uh, worked at the newspaper when I was here at the sure. Observer and yeah. did layout. And um, I remember doing layout one night. People would just kind of, like, come over and be like, oh, yeah, that looks great. Also, I'm in this philosophy <laughs> class, and I have these questions about God. I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. That's great. Like, let's talk. And I remember just having these great conversations about God and philosophy and theology and thinking, this is what I want to do in mm-hmm. my life. Like, I want to I want to help and be helped by people in my journey toward Christ. I want to have the deeper conversations. Yeah. And I remember actually going to my brother and saying, you know, Nick, isn't it amazing of the ways that people have conversations of theology and philosophy and all that stuff here all the time? And he looks at me, he's like, Nate... I've never had one of those conversations <laughs> my whole time here at Notre Dame. I'm like, really? And, just, and it just, just made me? Yeah. It just made me think, like, what a privilege. Yeah. When you tell somebody you're considering the priesthood, right. there's a vulnerability there where I think people enter into that, and so much more so now as right. a priest, yeah. where they just trust you so deeply with their lives and their stories, their burdens and their joys and yeah. in a way that's just such a privilege and a grace. Yeah, I think everybody's carrying something. Everybody's got these questions we all have to grapple with. Everybody's got big decisions to make. And when they come to know you as a person of God, the fear of bringing that into the conversation, that's not sort of everyday conversation that people normally have, but all of a sudden you become a trusted person and people open up and there's some real vulnerabilities there and, you know, some real longing for for God in, in a lot of those conversations. It's really well put. I was thinking about a moment when I was presiding my first parish. I was down here at St. Joe Parish. It's about a mile from uh, Notre yeah. Dame. And I remember having several of those conversations with people in the pew and just before Mass, after Mass, talking about people's lives and burdens and whatever. And, and I remember distinctly this moment of looking out from the presider's chair to people in one pew. It was like three different families in one pew right. and three different burdens yes. in life. And thinking about two things, it made me think th- two things. One, is the compassion I think that we should have for one another. Mm -hmm. Just because we don't know what other people are struggling, none of those three individual families knew what the others were struggling with. And the other thing that I think just struck me so deeply was they can look at each other and think like, ah, man, that family's really got it together. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea Mm -hmm. that, that they're actually really struggling. So it reinforced to me the idea of like, stop comparing like Mm. i think one of the greatest things that we can mistakes that we can make in our spiritual lives is to compare ourselves to other people other families other folks and think like wow they've really got it together yeah and and we just don't know what other people are dealing with or struggling with and i think there's an invitation to to just embrace our own story and it it really that quote attributed to teddy rose i don't know if you really said it or not but like he's you know the quote is comparison is the thief of joy Mm. I think about that often in the ways in which, and all of us do it, you know, compare ourselves to others. And it's just a losing battle. It's something that I think robs us of the joy of this moment, of Mm -hmm. the graces and gifts that Jesus has given each one of us. Mm -hmm. And it pulls us out of gratitude, right? And, And for those gifts and opportunities that God has given each one of us in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can see a lot of that in our in our world today, yeah. social media and, and everything else in terms yeah. of just the, the inclination to compare and to to not think about 
you know, what, what's going on, the graces in our own lives and our, the crosses we're bearing and how God's trying to help us through that. So, yeah, it's, thanks. So, it's, it's really elevated. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think that's more so than ever. And, and my friend Trish Maher had this great line. She said, you know, with social media, you st- start to think that everyone else's life is a highlight reel and my life is a blooper reel. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like right. that she had, it was this great point that like we start to think everyone else has got all these ama- amazing things going on. And it's an illusion Mm -hmm. that I think we have to actively push against because Mm -hmm. there's grace in this moment, in my life, in your life, um, Mm -hmm. in everyone's individual experience. Yeah, yeah. And in a podcast like this, we're hitting all the highlights, but we're not talking about the monotony, too. Yeah. Of, like, just getting up, being faithful, doing what you're called to do each and every day in in whatever place you are, you know. So I think that's, that's an important point for us. How did you kind of discern your, you know, your call within the call? You were a seminarian, but then you also did the ACE program. Mm-hmm. How did that kind of come about? Yeah, as I was going through the seminary process, I'd been in since I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I was just really thinking like, wow, well, I'm discerning this life that I really haven't lived um, yeah. in a kind of meaningful way. And I talked to my superior at the seminary and said, what should I do here? I'd, I'd like to get some practical experience. And, and he was like, why don't you go and teach? This is Bill Miss Campbell, so he had an mm-hmm. Australian accent. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he had this great you know, invitation to go and teach high school. Yeah. At, um, we had this school called Notre Dame High School, and now it's called Notre Dame College Prep mm-hmm. up in Niles, Illinois. And he said, you could teach for a year. I'm like, great, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I looked into the ACE program and was actually – the ACE is Alliance for Catholic Education. Yes. And um, it's a two-year service program. And they invited me to actually do the program. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I guess now I'm teaching for two years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was really great. I was a part of this larger ACE community. And it was it's a two-year service program after w- which you get a master's in educational mm-hmm. uh, in education, which is really great. And I had a, just a phenomenal experience teaching. Um, I have great friends who are uh, teachers there. I met my best friend there, Sean, and mm-hmm. we just had a great experience teaching. And it really was a vocation within a vocation. Yeah. For me, it was an opportunity to dig deep. I taught religion and I taught computer skills, kind of a left brain, right brain. <laughs> thing. I mean, I was a theology major here at Notre Dame. I had taken some MDiv classes, but I had never, like, if you really want to learn about scripture, Teach, teach scripture yeah. to ninth graders. Like, <laughs> you will learn it well because they will push and like, what is this about? Mr. Wills, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't really know. But it was great. Like I had yeah. a, such an awesome experience. Yeah. And, and teaching computer skills honestly made me think like, why are these kids who are completely uninterested in school otherwise Mm -hmm. totally plugged in totally dialed in yeah when you put them in front of a computer and and so it was right around the time too when like xbox live was coming up right and and i was jealous of the fact that somehow xbox could see what level player i was Uh in halo but we didn't have that kind of technology in schools right Right. like why don't we have that diagnostic ability to figure out how where kids at and Those questions really propelled me into graduate studies later on to say, well, how can we use technology meaningfully in mm-hmm. the classroom, not just mm-hmm. like in a perfunctory, dumb way? Yeah, hey, right? we've like, all got iPads and laptops, <laughs> but like, so what? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's not aiding, aiding the educational process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. really empowering teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that time in ACE, mm-hmm. did you have a lot of confirmation that, yes, I both and called to the priesthood and something within the educational field? 
Yeah, I think it was very confirming. I mean, first of all, that I wanted to live a life of ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Like I really, I felt energized by that. I I lived in a, in a Holy Cross community that was multi-generational, not uncomplicated. <laughs> I mean, it was difficult in some moments, yeah, but, yeah. you know, I found great friends and Sean McGraw and Pat Hannon, um, awesome people to work with. Dan Tully, who's the principal there now, was a great friend of mine back then and, and just really found like, look, I am energized by this life. In Holy Cross, we talk about ourselves as educators in faith, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And I thought that is a mission that I want to live in my whole life. And just the experience of, for two years, teaching ninth graders a New Testament course, introducing them to the person of Jesus in many mm-hmm. cases, mm-hmm. it was an incredible privilege, mm-hmm. and a burden, yeah. intimidating, right? Yeah. But like, what a privilege that is, mm-hmm. you know, to, to really stand in that place of the, the apostles, the disciples right. of, of introducing people to Christ and saying, this is the most important thing in my life. And, and it can be the most important person in your life as well. Yeah. I mean, in, in a way that now St. John Paul II sort of stirred your heart, now all of a sudden you're in that place of maybe stirring other young people's hearts to say, I need to pay attention to this yeah. more. Or this person who I really look up to or is, seems smart and funny and a good person to be around also cares about Jesus in a real way. So that can be compelling to other people. Well, that may be the first and last time I'm compared to <laughs> St. John Paul II, Dan, but I appreciate it. Thank you. In a lesser way. You know? <laughs> yeah. A much, much, much lesser way. Well, the Holy Spirit uses a lot of us uh, know. in however, however way we can. That's great. So as you get to the point of final vows and ordination, do you ever ever met any hesitation or just like, I'm really going to do this? And, and how did you sort of overcome those if there were any or just what was the what were those experiences like i'm smiling right now yes a lot all the time many (laughs) too many to count and recount i mean absolutely like the journey to priesthood and religious life i remember hearing ted hesberg talk about his own vocation Mm -hmm. he's like i never doubted that this is where god was calling him oh my god (laughs) i'm like doubting it every day i'm like i don't know like geez i wish i had that level of certainty but yeah you know, there's all kinds of ups and downs. And, you know, I had some really good formators, mm-hmm. some people who were able to kind of say, all right, don't jump ship in the middle of the storm. Mm-hmm. You know, like think about the large movements of God in your life. Step mm-hmm. back and say, exchange moments of fear and moments of tribulation for moments of prayer, right? Mm-hmm. And really step into that. And I'm so grateful for th- those folks. I mean, Father Pat Neary, who's now Bishop Pat Neary, right. it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, he was an incredible formator, mm-hmm. somebody who was just gentle and kind, and challenging at times, and really helpful to me in, in kind of just encouraging me along the way. So I had great, great folks to help me really discern, is this where God is calling me? And eventually to say, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would imagine that's probably more common than people care to admit. Sure. I mean, in a dating relationship, sure. you know, do we get engaged or not in this priesthood or religious life? I mean, everybody sort of, there's that fear and trepidation of, well, once I cross over this threshold, yeah. sort of the point of no return, I'm leaving behind some of those other things. And that can be, it can be fear inducing, but I think mm-hmm. that it's a really wise sentiment there to fill those times with moments of prayer to help us through those. Yeah. Great advice. Tom Doyle gave me that advice. It was really helpful. And I think about the notion of freedom, I think that we're given sometimes in our our culture, it says like, have options, Mm -hmm. right? Like have all the options. Yeah. 
And I think that's a false sense of freedom, yeah. right? Because the image I always think about is like that's standing in a, a, a hallway full of doors, You're right? Right for your whole life, being like, oh, that door's interesting. Oh, that yeah, that path's interesting too. Open. Yeah, just like <laughs> I'm just I'm just living freedom here. No, you're not. Like walk through a door. Yeah. And you know what? You may choose the wrong door. <laughs> it might not be right. And God knows. I mean, there have been times in my own life and priesthood and religious life where I've been like, oh, I have made a terrible <laughs> mistake, either because of my own shortcomings or because of challenges that I faced. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's when we rely on our friends mm-hmm. to say, like, well, wait a minute, step back a little bit yeah. from this current challenge and say, where is God calling me in my life? Where are the movements of the Holy Spirit in your life? And is it really a mistake or are you just in the middle of a storm? Sure. And thankfully, they're able to walk me back from that stuff and say, you know what? There's grace here and there's goodness that God is accomplishing through you, even though it might be a, a frail vessel. Sure, or, yeah, imperfect vessels. One. Yeah, absolutely. That's very, very true. And I think there's the, the idea that God is calling us all to really empty ourselves Mm. into something, to really give ourselves to something. And the passage of time, we have to make some of those choices, but God's grace is going to fill in. I've always found, I've been called to married life and fatherhood, and some days I'm thinking, oh, maybe I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) Like, this is really hard. But no, God's grace can fill in where we either were deficient or just we were tired or the struggle, the struggle is real. You know, similar to what you were talking about with those those early parish families. So turning to then to your early years of priesthood, now all of a sudden you're Father Nate and people are looking at you in that way. What were kind of your experiences there of of that realization? Yeah, it's intimidating, right? Mm -hmm. Because literally overnight you're like, okay, now people are calling me Father. (laughs) Can I have your uh, blessing? Yeah, right, can I have your blessing? Can you hear my confession? I hope I remember the words of absolution. I was practicing really hard in those last couple months before my ordination. I'm like, I got to get these words down. So, no, it was, it's a grace. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a burden in many ways to say like, all right, I got to take this seriously, you know, mm-hmm. and, and really, you know, think about my own life of holiness, how I'm trying to build up my own mm-hmm. relationship with God. If people are looking to me and asking, how do I grow closer to God, I better have some decent answers. (laughs) And I remember just, I mean, there's a humility that goes along with it too, hopefully, in saying like, okay, there's a grace of God that comes along with ordination that I'm going to lean on heavily to help me through moments where I have no idea what to say and do. I remember walking into hospital rooms where somebody had just died and I'm like, I I have no idea what to say. Yeah. Like I, I have no words and in fact, you know, my prayer is often two things like, Lord, let me not say something stupid hmm. and come Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Like, and by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit picks up where I leave off. Just been a really helpful grace. I remember at the parish, a woman, an older woman coming up to me and saying, kind of with this little bent finger sort of pointed <laughs> at me. She said, you know what the problem with you young priests is? I'm like... No. And she said, you haven't suffered enough. Mm. And I was like, whoa, wow. I also was like, well, you don't know my life. (laughs) No, no, it was was an interesting moment where I thought that was for her a marker of authenticity and something that I really took to heart in terms of my preaching and saying, like, people don't need to hear, I've got it all together in my homilies. And in fact, like, I think that's 
very hard for people to connect with and resonate with. Sure. Not to say like, oh, here's all you know my shortcomings or whatever. Sure. But I think to present life in a fair way that doesn't sugarcoat everything, that doesn't talk about even our, our journey with Christ as this you know idyllic thing that that no one can relate to. Mm-hmm. I just I don't think people connect deeply with that. I don't think they they want to hear that. I, I think it's much closer to your point about like. St. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, he's like, you know, I I asked for this thorn in my side to be taken away mm-hmm, from me, mm-hmm. and God responds to him, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, for right. power is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah. that's much more where I'm at, much, much more where I think a life of following after Christ is about. As a holy cross priest, yeah. I think we proclaim you know, the cross as holy, right. which is an audacious and crazy thing to do. Mm-hmm. We point to Christ and the cross as like our hope, and that's, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to live. But it's not always an easy thing to do, especially when I know that I don't carry the crosses of my life gracefully sometimes. Sure, sure. Well, that, that's what I was thinking about. It's we're called to follow Jesus yeah. on the way to the cross, and you look at his way to the cross. He doesn't float up there in mm. dazzling white robes and you know transfiguration yeah. style or something. He's bloody. He's suffering. He stumbles. People are crying. He's there's just the horrible suffering of his mother seeing her child die. I mean, there's just all the human drama that we feel like the hard aspects of living life. That's what Jesus is calling us to, and it's we're clinging to the hope that after all that through you know, the power of his cross and his resurrection, this all gets resolved. But we're not on this side of heaven, and we're still on this side of heaven. And that, those are, those are, there's some hard things in life. There's some hard years, I'm sure, as a, as a parish priest. Like, it wasn't just your own stuff, but all of a sudden you're getting led into everybody's life and as they're following Christ on their way. Amen. Amen. Well, that is certainly a privileged place. As you transitioned from priesthood and thought about, maybe I'm being called to further graduate studies, tell us about that discernment. Yeah, I sort of backed into it. As I was finishing up at at the parish, I mean, your first assignment is a Holy Cross priest is usually kind of given to you. Like, this is what you're going to do. Right. Okay. Obedience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But your second assignment, you usually have some input into, or they, you know, the provincial will talk to you. And and I really wanted to teach. I wanted to go back to teaching at Notre Dame High School. And I thought like, wow, this is where God is calling me. I'll be a high school teacher for the rest of my life. Be super happy. It's going to be great. And it was, I think my first year as a priest that we pulled out of that high school and Holy Cross is uh, like, ah, we're not going to do this high school ministry anymore. I'm like, what? No, <laughs> that was uh-huh. my whole plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's a good reminder of like, oh yeah, good idea. Create plans and got to laugh. Uh, right. uh, and really with conversations, my buddy Sean and saying like, what do you really want to do? Right? Like, where is God really calling you mm-hmm. in your life? And just asking the question of like, what are you passionate about? What do you love? And I'm like, well, I really have enjoyed education and technology, mm-hmm. but those things don't go together. And yeah. he's like, well, maybe they do. I'm like, well, really? And so we did kind of a deep dive into looking in, into what would that look like to um, study technology and education. Turns out <laughs> it's a thing. And I looked at, you know, what are the best programs out there? And by the grace of God, I got into um, Wisconsin for grad school and went to study a great professor there, Rich Halverson, who was just brilliant and was himself a, a Catholic school principal mm-hmm. for a while. And um, he was great and challenging, and he was hard on me and mm. in the best possible way, sure. right? Being like, 
this has got to be better if yeah. this is going to make a contribution. And, yeah. and through the process of grad school and his mentoring, I, I really found the questions that I cared about. And there was this emerging field called blended learning where people, teachers were using adaptive computer programs that were mostly just made for like cyber schooling, homeschooling in the context of their classroom to get really rich data feedback about student performance. Mm. And I'm like, that is interesting. That's helping teachers. Mm -hmm. That's personalizing instruction for kids. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to study. And so I did. And that's what I did my dissertation on. And thanks be to God, I I was able to um, enact some of that research here at Notre Dame as well in Catholic schools throughout the nation. Yeah. You mentioned that you'd been in Catholic schools your whole life Mm -hmm. and you had up to that point. University of Wisconsin, big state school. You know, what was that like being a priest in that context and kind of ministering to people during that time? Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin is an awesome place. I loved it. I had a great experience at Madison. And I found there some of the folks at Wisconsin, too, to be, like, truly liberal, like, in the sense of, like, just open to everything. Right. And I'm like, I talk to my classmates or whatever, and I'm like, I'm a Catholic priest. And like, oh, cool, like, I'm a six-level laser lord in my coven. And you're like... (laughs) What? What the heck does that mean? You know, like, like yeah, well, this, you know, like, that's not the same, right? You know, I actually did years of theology and discernment. Whatever, it's fine. Yeah. So it, it is interesting in the sense of, you know, people just were kind of, like, there's a lot of folks there who are authentically seeking. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really, it was there that I took the first class I'd ever taken on forgiveness. Mm. Professor Bob Enright is the, the world expert on forgiveness. Mm. Out of Wisconsin, you yeah. know, who knew, who knew? But yeah. he's faithful Catholic and just an awesome guy doing groundbreaking research there. So it, you really find people that shape your life. I was so blessed. While I was writing my dissertation, I, I moved over to a parish um, called St. Maria Gretti Parish in Madison. And I met this great priest there, Monsignor Mike Burke, who became one of my closest friends, mm-hmm. uh, certainly a mentor for me. Yeah. And he was actually the the chaplain of the Badger football team for like 40 years yeah. and invited me to, you know, like, he's like, why don't you, you know, are you interested in all of this? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And he's like, yeah, well, come to the sidelines with me. I'm like, are you kidding me? So just a wonderful, loving, really just deeply, deeply pastoral and kind priest mm-hmm. who um, changed my life and really shaped it. And there's no way that I would have finished my dissertation if not for his constant encouragement mm-hmm. and just really kind invitation to be a part of the parish. Yeah. I met great folks at that parish, some folks I'm still friends with. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an incredible and, and moving experience to just find wherever you are. Yeah. There are great people, people who, you know, want to know, love, and serve Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And that God loves just the same and mm-hmm. wants you to be, you know, to bloom where you're planted there. So. Yeah. Let's. I guess since we brought up football, let's turn to that because there's a little foreshadowing there. <laughs> we got to see kind of a chaplain mm-hmm. for the football team in Wisconsin, and then later on you were asked to be the football team here at Notre Dame. Yeah. So give me some sense of the parallels of those experiences and how that came about here at Notre Dame. Yeah, it was you know an awesome experience to see Father Mike at work there in Wisconsin. Just really a trusted person for coaches and and players and everything it was a great experience and I, I thought wow that's that's really cool and never thought like never even dreamed like this would be part of my life and sure enough you know one uh, one day in the summer of 2018 I think it was I got a call from Father Pete McCormick who is the director of campus ministry and he was like you know our the current chaplain Father Mike Th- Mark Thiesing is 
taking on more responsibilities in our province. Mm-hmm. You know, could you help him out as the chaplain of the football team? And I was like, huh? <laughs> like, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I don't even think he knew that I knew Father Mike back in Madison. Okay. Like, I don't think that was... It wasn't part of... It was no. like on your resume or something. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. You're sliding across the dinner. Hey, I know uh, a guy. <laughs> you know, no. I, yeah, I don't even think... I don't think either of them knew that. Huh. Um, but it was... Um, like totally out of the blue and just a really incredible gift. I said uh, two things to to Pete in response. I said, well, first of all, I'm honored. And second, like, you know, I don't know that much about football, right? (laughs) (laughs) He kind of laughed and he's like, Nate, we pay a lot lot of people a lot of money to know everything (laughs) there is to know about football. We don't need you to call plays. We just need you to bring them to Christ. And I was like, Okay, I think I can do that. Yeah, yeah. So give us some sense of those experiences. I mean, I can only imagine some of the the neat interactions you've had, but also just you kind of look around. I mean, there's sort of the the grandeur and the spectacle of college football. How do you navigate sharing Christ with people in in those moments and that context? Yeah, I think it's an incredible gift, an incredible invitation. And just like everywhere else in my life, I have found there are people who are just hungry. They're hungry to connect. They're hungry to find the deepest longing of their life that is beyond what our world has offered them. And I think especially folks who reach the pinnacle of their career, reach all the goals that they'd set for their lives, many of them look at and, and say, like, I still don't feel fulfilled. Yeah. You know, that can come up empty for folks. And they realize there's more. There's giving your life away. There's experiencing Christ's life in your own life. There's digging deeply into the Gospels and seeing yourself and your experiences through the lens of the Gospels. There's worshiping with other people and experiencing the sacraments and crafting your life after the the model of the Paschal Mystery. Like all of those things are invitations in people's lives. And it's when they when they find that they find this is the missing piece mm-hmm. you know the the line from augustine our hearts are restless until they rest in god mm-hmm. alone it's mm-hmm. not going to be these other things it's not going to be fame and fortune and you know notoriety and anything else yeah. other than god that that is our resting place yeah and again i was not personally a college student athlete or anything but just knowing some of them <laughs> in my classes i mean they're they're dealing with a lot yeah. i mean there's a lot and there's all these a lot of changes I and mean, we recently had a coaching change here at notre dame there's the transfer portal and name image and likeness i mean they're dealing with all these mm-hmm. things how do you help them navigate those waters and then still stay connected to that deeper long that they that they're discovering in themselves yeah i take a lot of consolation in pope francis's notion of accompaniment Mm -hmm. an invitation i think i don't think anybody is compelled by somebody telling them you should do this and Mm -hmm. this is what i know better than you and you know like none none of that is going to be compelling to folks especially young people who have to discover some of these realities on their own Mm -hmm. I've found that people come to you when they're ready, when the Holy Spirit stirred their heart in mm-hmm. different ways. And it's it's an amazing experience, right? And it's not just student athletes who I get to interact with. Right. I mean, there's coaches and staff members who are dealing with real, you know, significant problems in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think it's I've I've had a great experience of refs even at the game <laughs> before before the game like I love talking to the refs. They're yeah. like the most interesting people and 
have real burdens on their hearts yeah. and want to talk about their faith in different ways. And we have such a privilege at, at Notre Dame here, and I've stepped into this little hundred-year tradition of giving student-athletes medals, holy mm-hmm. medals of mm-hmm. the saints, mm-hmm. before the game. Mm-hmm. And that's been such a cool thing, too, to be able to share a holy medal with the, the student-athletes and saying, like, hey, look, this is a saint who lived a life of holiness, and, and they're all different. They've mm-hmm. all lived mm-hmm. different lives. Right. They've all found different paths to Christ and holiness and sanctity in their lives, but you can too, and, yeah. and uh, the uniqueness of your own life. It's been a cool thing, too, to you know, I keep a pocket full of these things beyond the ones that I give to the, the football players, and um, I'll give them out to the refs. Mm-hmm. I'll give them out to people on the sidelines. Yeah. And, you know, just tell a little bit about the story of the Saints, you know, our, our um, sports medicine folks, our mm-hmm. trainers, our, mm-hmm. our uh, you know, equipment folks. They all want to know who's the Saint this week, and, yeah. and it's been fun, too. I um, have been putting them on. I have this Instagram account. Pray like a champion today. I like yeah, it. You can follow me. <laughs> and, and I always show the holy medal for that week and then have one of the student athletes hold it in their mm-hmm. hand. So mm-hmm. the first image is of the, the saint, the, the holy medal, and right. the next one is of them holding it, right? And and it's my hope is that there's an incarnational sense there too. Like these are folks who are striving towards holiness, goodness, and excellence in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And they're holding, you know, a saint, an yeah. image in a way of, you know, not saying, well, they're perfect and whatever, but um, that they're striving towards holiness as well. Sure. And I think it can be easy because college football is so huge. I mean, Mm -hmm. you look at like Coach Marcus Freeman seems like this larger than life figure and people want to criticize, you know, whatever moves he's making or his coordinators or these players, you know, whatever their, their exploits on the field, having success or not. And people have lots of opinions about them. They can sort of become like this other person or not even a, not of a person but just like this figure that but you're in the perspective of you know these people personally you see their doubts their burdens i mean in the same way we talked about at the parish and education here you are with this you know, these football coaches and these football players seeing them in their most vulnerable states so could you speak about the, the privilege that is and and how you kind of fill that space when they've got so much pressure on them all the time yeah i mean it, it is a privileged space and I think to see people as whole people mm-hmm. in the three-dimensionality of our lives, right? Like of the, our burdens, our families of origin, our fears and joys and hopes, all those things, are, they're part of everybody's life. And it's a privilege to experience some of those things. It's funny, I've become much more sensitive to people saying stuff about football players like oh this guy had a terrible game i'm like hey that's a really nice person like (laughs) he's he's actually a really good guy and like i don't know i i've just i've gotten more defensive i think of these folks who i really care about right and i think live they're doing what we're all doing which is just doing our best right trying really hard in difficult situations Mm -hmm. and i mean i i just it blows my mind that, that people can go online and write some screed about an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they just take it down a thousand notches, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. this is a person who's trying to do their best. And yeah. and I know there's, like, there's money on the line. There's all kinds of stuff sure. on the line. Sure. But I, I really think my role, as I've come to see it over the years, is to help everybody mm-hmm. step back and mm-hmm. say, before and after any football experience, mm-hmm. you are and always will be a beloved child of God. Mm. That's who you are. Mm-hmm. That's not 
changeable right. by virtue of your baptism. You yeah. know, like, and that's the most important identity of your life. Mm-hmm. And football can change and end a moment, right. right, for any of these guys. And hopefully not, right? Hopefully they get to live their dreams and mm-hmm. do, do all kinds of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but I really want to impress upon them, and, and I think others do this as well. Our coaching staff is deeply faithful and, mm-hmm. and, and loving. And just to remind them, you are more than what you can do on Saturday. Mm-hmm. You are a beautiful child of God who mm-hmm. um, has dignity and purpose and can use your gifts in life to build up the kingdom of God. And like, that's really, really important, mm-hmm. much more important than missing the pass on third down and, yeah. and whatever. Uh, yeah. So I think it's that perspective that maybe I've been entrusted with in this role. And I think it's an important one to kind of keep coming back to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure very important for them to hear in such a high pressure situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to talk about Notre Dame football all day, but I should probably <laughs> ask you about the rest of your jobs here on campus. And we talked about this combination between education and technology and how that can affect things positively in the classroom and help mm-hmm. teachers. Could you talk about your work with the director of the Blended Learning Initiative? What is that? And what have been some of the great moments that you've had in that work in ministry? Yeah, it's it's super fun. I mean, my life and in, in work is about building up Catholic education. And all the folks who work over at the Alliance for Catholic Education and more broadly the Institute for Educational Initiatives at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. I think it's it's such a privilege and an incredible work and ministry to, to work with Catholic educators. And I believe just so passionately in Catholic education that it's an incredible means for evangelization mm-hmm. in our nation, in our, in our world, that I want to do everything possible to help teachers and leaders to be their best. I get to work in this Remick Leadership Program mm-hmm. where I'm kind of entrusted with the spiritual and personal formation of our aspiring Catholic school principals. Mm-hmm. If you're a Catholic school teacher, and if you know a great Catholic school teacher that'd be a great Catholic school leader, have them check out the Remick Leadership Program. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my little plug. Yeah. But, you know, my own work is really trying to help teachers differentiate their instruction. I mean, when I was teaching high school, you know, all my education professors here were like, you know, you should differentiate your instruction, meet the needs of every kid. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to do that. I want to do that. Because I believe that every child is made uniquely in the image and likeness of God, right? Mm-hmm. And then they deserve an education mm-hmm. that befits that uniqueness. But like, I gave up on that on like day two. Because <laughs> like, look, I can't write one lesson plan, let alone 30. Yeah. And I wasn't given really any tools to differentiate my instruction. Mm. And it wasn't until really finding this adaptive instructional technology that mm-hmm. I found like, yeah, now that's actually helpful. Mm-hmm. While a teacher is working with a small group of kids, really getting to know what they know and they don't know, mm-hmm. kids are working at their just right reading or math level on these adaptive computer programs. That's awesome. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. That's helping kids right where they're at. And then it's giving teachers really actionable data about student performance. So mm-hmm. I got to found this this program called Higher Powered Learning, kind of the higher powered nature of, uh, of Catholic <laughs> education and right. a notion of powered learning, yeah. of using technology in a powered way. Elizabeth Anthony and I started this uh, uh, this program at, at, within ACE, and we've been helping Catholic school principals and teachers to use adaptive computer programs. Mm-hmm. She has since moved on. She's a fancy consultant at McKinsey now, yeah. but, but I'm still working 
with really great colleagues yeah. to try to do that and to empower teachers mm-hmm. in a way that we just it just hasn't been possible in the past right and is just going to become more and more important well it's fascinating to me i have four boys mm-hmm. and they're all in catholic school and even seeing the differences between my own education and theirs. I mean, I really see the the benefits of that differentiated instruction. You know, I was a, a good student and came to Notre Dame, so sometimes I felt myself sort of twiddling my thumbs while the teacher was doing a great job and in, in helping some other people, or sometimes I'd be the one helping other people. And, and, you know, my kids are pretty bright as well, but they're just on a tear. They're doing their own thing because the technology and that differentiated instruction is allowing them to do that while making sure some of those other kids aren't just getting totally left behind. Or uh, It's just been fascinating as a parent to see, oh, wow, that you're reading a lot more books, like a lot harder books than I ever did in second grade or third grade. It's fascinating, really. Yeah, I, I think that's been the real joy of mm-hmm. seeing this implemented well mm-hmm. in schools is to see that kids are getting what they need, yeah. right? Like that kids and the lower end are actually given the time and the instruction and the personal attention mm-hmm. that they need to mm-hmm. do well. Mm-hmm. And to feel like, you know what, every day I'm growing. Yes. Not like every day, I don't know what's going on. Right. Or every day I, I, I show up and, and they start to identify, right? They start to say, I'm bad at math. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at school. This is not for me, right? And it becomes not just how I'm doing in school, but who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to avoid, right? And we want to make sure that every kid has this growth mindset to say, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm, I'm working. I'm maybe not at that level, mm-hmm. but I'm working at my own level. And then on the other side, like sounds like your kids are, to really challenge the kids who are at the top. Yeah. And to, to honestly, we've experienced a lot of kids who are really at the top of their class who push back against this stuff. They're like, no, 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 this is hard. This is too, too hard, hard, right? Yeah. Because all of a sudden the computer program is adapting to <laughs> yeah. where they're at. And they're like, I don't like this because they're used to like getting by. Through, through. Right. But they, I mean, what an important skill yeah. to teach kids at a young age of like, no, no, we're all going to work hard. Sure. And even if it comes easier to you, like keep striving, keep pushing. That's a life skill, right? Yeah. Of grit determination of like saying, doesn't matter where you are, keep pushing. Yeah. And you're going to fail. You're going to get things wrong. And that's not the end of the world. You just, that's part of learning. Yeah. And not to get caught in that temptation to compare, just to sort of either rest on my laurels and say, oh, I don't need to work hard or to say, oh, I, I could never get to that so-and-so's level and I'll just, just give up. But to keep striving in that individual way, in whatever ways God has blessed you with. Some kids are great at school. Some kids are great at sports. Some kids are great listeners. I mean, we all have those gifts that God has given us to share to the world. And this is a way to encourage everybody to, to, to be their best, I think. Absolutely. I do want to talk about your, your role as an in-residence priest. Oh, yeah. You live in Keogh Hall. There's some Holy Cross priests who are rectors, kind of overseeing the hall. But we have this rich tradition here at Notre Dame of these in-residence priests. And sometimes we have also in-residence women's religious or faculty. We've just got some couples who are in residence. Can you talk about the ministry of being in-residence in a college dormitory? And what, you know, why would you sign up for such a thing? <laughs> It is a riot. I absolutely love being a residence in a dorm. Keogh Hall has been such a blessing in my life. Father Pat Reedy long ago invited me to come over to to Keogh, and it's just been awesome. Mm -hmm. My room is kind of like right on a corner, and 
the guys will stop by and just to complain about a test they did or, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at learning their names. There's 270-some guys in the dorm. And they turn over. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and oh, oh, I'm terrible. Yeah. So I do a lot of like, hey, buddy. But, but I really do care about the guys in the dorm. And it's such a formative time mm. for them in their lives when, you know, some guys are away from home for the first time. Some guys are failing for the first time. All of a sudden, most Notre Dame students have the experience of, you know, going from being the big fish in a little pond to a very small fish in a very big yeah. pond. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're surrounded by super smart people, sure. super accomplished people. Yeah. And it's intimidating. And I think a lot of them have imposter syndromes mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And not to mention social media, which puts all this stuff in their right. face, right? Yeah. And says, everyone else is accomplishing and doing so great. And I'm like, uh, I'm struggling. <laughs> right. And so it really has been a grace amidst all of that to, to be in residence. Mm -hmm. I don't have the hard discipline burdens yeah. that the rector has. Right. I get to be kind of the fun uncle of the, the, <laughs> the dorm, right? And it's just great. Like I had in particular this group of freshman guys in my section mm -hmm. this past year, and they are a riot. <laughs> They're so fun and they're so good. Every Tuesday night I have mass in the dorm mm -hmm. this past semester. And who knows what it will be this semester. Yeah. But, but we do like something after mass, like just it's a half hour daily mass. Right. And I do tater tots after mass nice. on Tuesday. So <laughs> it's tater tot Tuesday and the guys all come up, throw in a couple pans of tater tots and they all come up, hey, father, how's it going? And down some tater tots and, and just talk about their day. Or sometimes we'll have a question that everybody has to answer. answer. And it's so much fun. And, and this big group has, come to not only come to mass but mm -hmm. they've come to tater tots week after week and they're just great and honestly this group surprised me this year they found out when my ordination anniversary was oh. and they had a party for me wow for my ordination anniversary That's great. it was like the most unbelievable like i've all told other holy cross priests this story and they're like no way no way i can't believe that i'm yeah. like yes this group of kids they're so good and they, they did it as a potluck. They got me a card that said, it was like a birthday card. <laughs> right. And it said, it, it said happy. And they put a little carrot and it said priest birthday. <laughs> and it, it was hilarious. And they all signed it. Yeah. It was just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, so like these moments when you're, I feel so privileged to step into their life in this formative moment. Not all of them are Catholic, not all of them all of them even know what a priest is. They yeah. have questions and sure. they want to know. Sure. But they're all just seeking and striving. And they're brilliant. They look, you know, so young, but they're brilliant kids. Mm -hmm. And they're they're funny and interesting. They often, I learn a lot from them, which mm -hmm. I think is maybe the greatest privilege for me of living in a dorm is mm -hmm. that it's energizing. And there's always something new that I'm learning about them, about culture, God, so many things about TV shows and so many things, video games, but about, you know, our relationship with God and how they're encountering Christ in their lives. And there's just so much to learn. And I, I find that really energizing. Yeah, that's great. Well, speaking of questions that everybody has to answer, these last two, <laughs> All right, go our, for our it. regular listeners will recognize them, but I always like to hit on these because... I don't know. There's just such a rich tapestry of different answers that we've gotten, but, but there's also those, the common threads through. So they're about holiness, because that's what we call the podcast, is Everyday Holiness. Mm. We've heard about a lot of the, the important people in your life, but as you think to the holy people in your life, they could be the saints and the medals you're handing out, they could be people in your, in your current life, who have been the holy people that you look up to to say, someday, you know, I want to be more like that person? Yeah. I think of holiness 
not as the thing where you have to retreat from the world and, and find a cave to live in, and that, <laughs> yeah. that's the place where you're going to find holiness. I think holiness is about living the burdens of life with grace, mm-hmm. of really aligning the challenges and sufferings of this life to the cross of Christ, seeing your life within the pattern of the Paschal mystery, life, death, and resurrection. And I look at the people in my life who have witnessed that beautifully, and they are countless. Mm. They're countless. And they're at every generation. Like, I look at, I have so many Holy Cross heroes, right? Mm. Like, I think of uh, Father Mike Heppen, who really experienced a lot of difficulty in his life and disappointments and whatever, but lived his last couple years of life hearing confessions at the Basilica. Yeah. Like, he had this incredible ministry. Like, when he died, we were like, how do we fill all these spots of confessions at the Basilica? And I love that that became his ministry of mercy, Mm. that he really found that as a a real calling within his calling to bring people to Christ through the sacrament of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I admire the heck out of that and think, like, even to the end of his life, he was doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about people my own age. I I think about my my colleague and friend, Sarah Perkins, who um, is a mom. She and I teach together for our, our Remic leaders, and she's just always inspiring, always living a, a life of goodness and holiness in her vocation as a mom. She made me aware of this article by Kathleen Norris called The Quotidian Mysteries. Mm. It's I think it's a chapter from a larger book. Yeah. Sarah's probably right, yeah. I haven't. <laughs> but this, this article we use, they're just the everyday holiness that God calls us to is so powerful in just the everyday experiences of our lives. They don't have to be heroic and great and broad and incredible. It's just finding ways to live and give over our lives to Christ. So uh, I look at her. I'm going to look at even kids in my dorm. You know, Mm. uh, one of these kids, Max Turner, this summer is doing this program called PATH, where he's working with kids who are, you know, first-generation college kids down in Tucson, Arizona, Mm -hmm. working with um, my colleague Alec Torgan. And He's making a difference in the lives of young people. He's using his gifts mm-hmm. for math and for all this stuff to teach kids and to bring them in, up in a beautiful way. Like, that is holiness to mm-hmm. me. They're, they're countless. And I look, you know, at the lives of the saints. I was just just in Assisi a, a couple of weeks ago yeah. to teach a course over there. And the life of Francis and Claire, I mean, is so inspiring mm-hmm. to me. But, I mean, I, I look at, I think, more everyday people mm-hmm. and people who I've encountered in my life my buddy Sean, who I mentioned, Sean McGraw, is just always, always challenging me to to think of my life in, in the light of the gospel mm-hmm. and think about how we can just strive in friendship towards the Lord. So, I mean, I, all these people in my life have been incredible models of goodness and holiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing some of those. I, I do get that sense when I ask people that question. It's like, well, how do you pick? Yeah, um, right. when, when you're paying attention, because God is, I think, constantly giving us people wherever we are. We talked about Wisconsin. We talked about seminary. We talked about back in Minnesota. You know, there's been so many people along the way. As you are striving after holiness, what have been some of the most effective strategies? You know, sometimes we all make missteps and mistakes, but in terms of that return to the gospel, that seeking forgiveness, rededicating yourself to the vows you've taken, what's been effective for you? Yeah, that's such a great question. 
I love that what you just said about, you know, you can see uh, holiness if you pay attention. Mm. And I think paying attention is maybe the thing that has been most powerful for me in my life of, of really saying, like, where is God's grace today? Mm-hmm. Where is God's grace as I step back from, you know, the last month and year of my life? I think the most effective things in, in, you know, striving towards holiness, which I don't pretend to, I'm on the journey, baby. (laughs) I'm not far from the destination. But I would say two things. One uh, is gratitude, is living a life and and with a stance of gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's the secret to happiness in my own life. Not that I can do it all the time, but I really, if I can really embrace a stance of gratitude to God for the gifts that he has given me today, for the, the, the people that he's put in my my life today, if I can be aware and you know just conscious of of God's grace in my life and and those practice that practice of being grateful every day, honestly, that has been something that if you just make a list every night and doing an examine of mm-hmm. these are the things I'm grateful for today, I found that that not only makes me more grateful for those moments in my life, but then I start looking for them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that on my list. And that's been such a great moment to say, God's grace is available today, yeah. here, now, in the ups and downs of our lives, um, no matter who you are. So I'd say that that's one. The other one I'll call maybe the, the Ted Lasso uh, effect, <laughs> but there's this great scene in Ted Lasso. If you haven't watched the show, it is really worth watching. It's an adult show. Yeah. But there's a great scene where they're playing darts in the first season. Right. And people who have known, have seen this show, will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But he just makes a distinction between being judgmental and being curious. Mm-hmm. And it finds that so many times people are judgmental in their lives when they should actually just be curious. Mm. And I think that is a really nice way to put our invitation to our own journey with Christ, our own spirituality, right? Like how many times are we just judgmental about like, oh, I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have said this or I messed something up when we should just be curious about it and saying like, huh, that was interesting. I I wish I wouldn't have done that, but I wonder how I can grow. Mm -hmm. I wonder how God's, God's grace can continue to transform me through that moment and mm-hmm. and to really just step back from the moments of judgment and just embrace a stance of curiosity in our lives even about others too mm-hmm. right i'm sure. saying like why does that person do that it drives me nuts or why does that person say that or look like that or do that you know like why not just be curious about yeah. their life their yeah. journey yeah and what's say, going on yeah, yeah like where the movement of christ in their life mm-hmm. and and how can i be more of a person of compassion, love, and understanding, mm-hmm. and less of a person that, that kind of puts people aside or judges them. Yeah, that's very well said. Well, Father Nate, I really appreciate the time that you've given us today to, to be on the podcast. And you know, know of my prayers, all of our prayers for all that you're doing for in the, the Remick Leadership Program and the Blended Learning Initiatives, certainly for the football team, <laughs> <laughs> for the men of Keo. I mean, you're just a real... You're a real source of grace to so many people on this campus, so I'm glad that we could share a little bit of that that through the podcast, but appreciate your time today. Thanks, and thanks for your prayers, Dan. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness. As always, we invite you to share and rate the podcast, especially if you enjoyed it, to give it to others, and to subscribe to the podcast, as well as to our Faith ND Daily Gospel Reflection at faith.nd.edu slash sign up. Until next time, you'll be in our prayers. God bless. Mm